0: There are 100,000 people across this nation to find themselves in slavery. It's quite some statistic. In fact, it's almost unbelievable in a world that prizes freedom as a basic human right. The dictionary defines slavery in this way. It says, you can describe someone as a slave when they are completely under the control of another person or a powerful influence, Collins Dictionary. Or if you would prefer the Oxford Dictionary, it's a person who is strongly influenced by something that they cannot live without or prevents them from making their own decisions. Anyone who has experienced slavery and exploitation would, if you could ask them, because let's be honest, it's hidden, most of us would not knowingly say we know someone who is actually a modern day slave but I'm sure that they would say to you that their greatest desire is to be free from the control of those who shape and dominate and determine their lives those of us who are living free have no idea what it's like to be a slave We just don't have any way in which we can say we understand because anything that we would put up as our understanding would fall probably into pale insignificance to what they have personally experienced, especially in this age where people are trafficked for sex, exploited in work, some people beaten when they cannot fulfill that which is asked of them. I would imagine that the only group of people who would claim to understand would be a teenager, (coughs) who, when their parents lay down the law, tell you, oh, it's like living in a concentration camp, or they tell you something else because they want to get out there and do their own thing. They say... You're a slave driver. What does it matter if I tidy my room? It doesn't matter, does it? So they feel you're getting on their case all the time. But outside of a teenager, who we all understand, we've all been, we've probably all felt at different times in our lives where we wanted to become the adult when we were not really ready for it, I expect we have all experienced, other than that, that moment. I wonder if you've ever stood on top of a hill or a mountain somewhere and in a moment as you stand there you have breathed in through your nose and you've taken the air where you are stood into your lungs and somehow, somehow that air you are breathing in seems to be and feels fresher than whatever you have experienced where you live. In fact, it's beyond that. As you breathe it in, it actually feels clean. It feels invigorating. And you think, wow, this is different. If you've ever visited the Alps and done it in the Alps, you will have an even increased experience of that moment. Not because necessarily they're always better at looking after the environment than anybody else. But it's just that mountainous air. Maybe you've been down by the sea and you've breathed in the sea air. And what happens? Do you know what happens? You breathe in, I'm told, I'm not a scientist, but you breathe in ions, not ions, I R O N S. I think it's I O N S. I don't know. You breathe them in. Have you ever come home from the beach and you you sit down at home and you feel satisfied and tired? Because you've breathed in freshness. That is what it would be like for someone who is a slave to gain their freedom. Amazing. This morning, just for a few moments, I want us to consider the beauty or the beautiful freedom that Christ has won for us through dying on the cross and rising from the dead. When truly understood, it has a similar effect to that which I've just described. Life begins to feel fresh. We feel clean. We feel invigorated. That moment that Joe talked about, about encountering Jesus for the first time and how it became an overwhelming experience for her. But that experience on its own believe it or not, has been a source of life and invigoration to maintain walking all these years. No matter what the circumstances are that surround, it does something to us. Galatians 5, if we had read the next chapter, says, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. This freedom that we have given to us by Jesus should never be taken for granted. It should cause us to overflow with thanksgiving and praise to the almighty God, the creator of the universe and all that is in that universe and world. If I had to make one declaration this morning and I've entitled this message, we are no longer slaves. We're no longer slaves. We are free men and women. We are freed men and women. We have freedom in Jesus Christ. It says there, so you are no longer a slave but a son and if a son then an heir through God we're not just no longer slaves we have become sons and daughters of the living God we have been adopted into God's family our life has changed our outlook should have changed the way in which we relate to others should have changed In Ephesians 1, it says these words between verses 3 and 6. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. I've heard couples say to one another or say to their children sometimes you were a twinkle in your father's eye I want to tell you you were a twinkle in your father's eye before the foundation of the world before you were born he had seen you before you were born he actually knew who you were before you were born he even knew how your life was going to track out That's an amazing thing, isn't it? And he still chose us to be adopted into his family. He would know all those times we would reject him. He would know the times that we would struggle with our life. He knows the times where we've wanted to give up, even before they even happened. And he still put his love upon us and chose us. He knew how we would react in those moments in our lives where grief comes in and takes hold of our heart. Grief that sometimes we find hard to shake, and we ask God questions like, Why? He knew how you would react. He knew the struggles you would have, He knew the doubts that would plague your mind. Does God really exist? If he did, surely this would never have happened. In that marriage breakup or that marriage difficulty, he knows how you cry out to God and you've asked that question, why? And he's still placed upon us. He chose us before the foundation of the world. It goes on and it says, in love... He predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ. The Westminster Shorter Catechism says this, number 34, it's question 34. And it's about adoption and the answer is this, adoption is an act of God's free grace whereby we are received into the number of and have a right to all the privileges of the sons of God. Adoption is an act of God's free grace. There's the first beauty. It's an act of God's free grace. Grace is unmerited favour, undeserved favour. You didn't deserve it, you didn't merit it by anything you or I have done. And yet God's grace is still extended to us. Whereby we are received into the number all those, with all those, and have a right to all the privileges of the sons of God. The word adoption, I can't really say it, but I'm going to have a go. The Greek word says, huiothesion. I'm sure it is somewhere around there. It only appears five times in Scripture, but it's rooted in the purpose of God. We can see it in the Old Testament where God tells the Israelites, we read it in Deuteronomy 7, 7 and 8, it was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love upon you and chose you. There's the adoptive phrase, and chose you. For you were the fewest of all peoples, but it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers that the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery. Hallelujah. I was a slave unto sin. I was a slave to the law. And yet through Christ... I am set free. Paul also alludes to this in Romans 9 when he says, They are Israelites, and to them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, and the giving of the law. To them belong the adoption. We are adopted. God wants a people, a family after Himself. This theme is woven into the fabric of the New Testament, the Old Testament, New Testament theology. It's closely connected to justification which is the action of declaring or making people righteous in the sight of God and to sanctification which means the action of making or declaring someone or something holy. The meaning of adoption goes far beyond both of those great doctrines of the Christian faith. It's a term of both privilege and identity. Adoption introduces us to the true quality of what Jesus provides in salvation and expresses who it is that enjoys those blessings. God sent forth his son, born of a woman under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption of sons. Obedience to the law would never have made us sons and daughters of God. Never. It wouldn't matter how hard we tried. It just would not have worked. We would have been lost. Trying so hard and failing always. There is something, and I I know that I'm an earthly parent. And so I can't totally say, because I feel this, then I'm saying God feels this. But I don't understand that God would feel any different about children that are adopted into his family, as I do, about children that I have had. I think, for me, I love my kids, my kids don't always do things right, and I don't just mean they don't do what I want them to do or think they should do, because they're, they're, they're people in their own right, you know, 41 is my oldest, so, you know, I'm not trying to live their life for them, but I don't know that there could be anything that would ever make me stop loving them, even though they might have done the most gross thing in the world. Liz and I, when we we were involved in a business that ran a Christian day school, and we had someone who used to come in and dish up lunches. And her son, under the influence of drugs, murdered someone. And ended up arrested and imprisoned. And what he did in that moment was horrendous. I mean, it wasn't just he killed someone. It was a lot. It would carry an after nine watershed moment. I can remember uh, talking about it one day. And I can remember her saying, I know my son has done something horrendous, but I still love him. You see, you can't take a parent's love away. It is very hard for a parent to turn their back on their child, even sometimes when we do things that we know instead of dealing with the issue actually allows the issue to continue the times we might bail out our children when they get themselves into financial difficulty and there comes that point where sometimes you wonder are they just using me as a bank account and you say and you sometimes you get upset about it and you say well that's it if you come again don't expect to get a thing You've got to learn to stand on your own two feet and then what happens? A few months go by because they don't phone you for that length of time. They give you an opportunity to calm down and then that text comes through and hits the phone. Can I borrow 50 quid? And you might even react again. But guess what? So many of us will still give that 50 quid. See, we love our kids. God loves us. In the Old Testament, sonship is tied up with family identity and vocation, and so is ours. Us being sons and daughters of the living God is all tied up with family identity and vocation. When we were adopted into the family of God... When he gave us the privilege of being called the children of God, I want to tell you, his whole purpose, Romans 8:29 tells us, was for those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. We are going to take on the family identity. Have you noticed the way your kids actually reflect sometimes bits of you? I remember preaching one day in Plymouth Christian Centre and as I stood there, I held my hands like this as I was preaching and all I could see in my eye gaze was not the congregation but was my hands. They were my dad's hands. That was exactly how my dad held his hands. It was such a profound moment for me, I stopped speaking. I could not believe it, that here I am, trying and having tried desperately not to be like my father, I am now manifesting certain attributes of my father. In more than ways, Liz says to me now, my dad's name was John Coey Smith, and when I start to show traits of my dad... Liz will say to me, JC, (laughs) JC, right? And I held my hands and I was captivated by them and I don't think it was many seconds, maybe 15, 20 seconds I stood there looking at my hands in horror, right? But congregational members said afterwards, they said, oh, that was a powerful point you made when you paused. (laughs) it was pure chance (laughs) or God given one of the two you choose we get our family identity now from Christ and the fact we've been adopted we get our vocation I know that some of you will have vocations in medicine teaching whatever it happens to be you look at me And you'll say, your vocation is being a minister. You know, whatever it is we do, we follow a a level of vocation in it. But when we become the sons and daughters of God, we don't just start to see God's image, Jesus' image formed in us, but we start to have his vocation come upon us. Whether we like it or we don't. This passage of scripture in Galatians 4 tells me very clearly, I am not a slave, I am a son, and therefore I am going to bear my father's image. And where Jesus comes when he returns and he does not find his image imprinted in our lives... As difficult as we might find this statement I'm about to make, we know he separates the sheep from the goats. To one he says, blessed. To the other he says, cursed. God is looking for his image to be formed in us. That we, not in perfect or perfection reflect him, but in some way we move towards him, becoming like him. So these are the blessings you've got. I'm going to have to finish next week, but I will read you the blessings as far as Ephesians says. In him we have redemption through his blood. Simon led us this morning in communion. And that is what we are remembering here. It's not the bread doesn't turn into the literal body of Christ, the juice doesn't turn into his blood. But the reality is, we remember that we were bought with a price and it cost Jesus his life. He shed his blood and his body was marred for our forgiveness so we have redemption we've been redeemed the price has been paid I don't have to worry about the debt I once had I no longer have that debt anymore the price has been paid I am free of debt I don't have to worry when the man comes to the door and goes I've come to collect the debt I'm sorry but it's been paid I've got this piece of paper here it says paid in full (coughs) the forgiveness of our trespasses the forgiveness of our sins the things we have done wrong in the past the things we do wrong in the in now and the things we will do wrong in the future god has declared us price paid according to the riches of his grace you remember i said grace is the unmerited undeserved favor which he doesn't just give us, I love this word, he lavished, lavished. It's got something about it, hasn't it? Lavished. It's full of something, that word. Lavished upon us. In all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose. In him we have obtained an inheritance. We know where we're going If Christ returns, we know that we will be caught up with him in the air. If we die before that moment, we know that we will be with him for eternity. We have an inheritance which will not perish, Peter says, will not fade. It's there. We have a hope. We have a guarantee given to us in the Holy Spirit. We have something so valuable. You know there's a there's one diamond in the queen's the past queen's crown. that was discovered by pure chance. This is an illustration I've read, so it might be true, it might not, but I'm going to use it anyway. But I read this illustration. And that diamond, which I t- can't remember how many carats it is, but it is huge, and it's, all, it's they would say, almost priceless, was a doorstop in a mine, until somebody looked at it and thought, I think that might have something in it. I don't know enough about diamonds to tell you how they do them. so. But it was discovered by chance. Somebody using it who, as just a for this purpose when it contained something that became priceless. Never allow ourselves to use our salvation as a doorstop and devalue what it is we have actually received, a priceless gift, a priceless gift. We are sons of God. Image bearers of him. Image bearers of him. Being adopted into God's family as as Newton wrote in the late 1700s, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I am found, was blind, but now I see The Lord has promised good to me. His word my hope secures. He will my shield and portion be as long as life endures. Yea, when this flesh and heart shall fail and mortal life shall cease, I shall possess within the veil a life of joy and peace. Let's pray. Father God, I there is very little I can say except this Lord, will you Lord, will you just take one thing, two things, three things, something out of what I've shared this morning? And will you shine the light of your Holy Spirit upon it? And Lord, will you let us be captivated afresh by the many different facets of that precious jewel of our salvation? The fact that we have been adopted, that we are loved that you have taken us into your family, that you have given us the right to refer to ourselves as your children. And more than that, that we can cry out, Abba, Father, Daddy, Papa. Lord, I want to thank you for that gift. Lord, may we keep that before us in this coming week that we might glorify your precious name and that when we gather, we are not slow to open our mouths to give thanks, not slow to lift our voices in praise to you through music and song, that we're not slow at testifying to your goodness and your graciousness in our lives, not based on circumstance, but based on the joy that we are in your family. So Father, go with us, be with us this week, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.